Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. And during that time, we uh, had this elderly family couple, actually, that came to us and at the end of one of the services at the very beginning and said, we'd love to have you come to our home for dinner. Now, I was excited about that, as was Joan, because at our family of origin, Sunday dinner was a big deal. I mean, it was, it was pot roast and all the trimmings, and so that was kind of our expectation. Uh, as we get to their home, they said, well, we didn't really prepare anything, um, but we'll share with you what we have, and they made, uh, boiled some hot dogs. And I remember, I didn't even like hot dogs. And, and I remember being very disappointed. And it took a while for my disappointment to be redirected and elevated to elation. Uh, in fact, let's see, that was 1989. It took 30 years. Um, and, and so uh, this morning, I actually was thanked God for that couple and for their hospitality. Because see, what they, they did actually was... They, they realized this is a small town. There's no food. They have an hour and a half drive back. If we don't feed them, they waited until everyone else who had an opportunity to feed us, who had the pot roast, left. <laughs> and they realized if we don't feed them, they won't have anything for lunch today. And they opened their home to us as a place of hospitality. I want to talk to you this morning about hospitality. In fact, the keys to the kingdom... Fit your front door. And there, there's a book I read recently. Some of you may have read it by Rosario Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And uh, that obviously influenced my title this morning. In her book, she tells of her journey to Jesus that began with hospitality through a student ministry at the university where she was a professor uh, and an advocate for LGBTQ and a practitioner herself uh, of the, that lifestyle and how through hospitality she came to know Jesus and became a pastor's wife that lives in Durham, uh, North Carolina today. Uh, her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Rosario Butterfield, highly recommend it. The word hospitality in scripture comes from two words, phileo xenia, and, and the, the and these two words combine to form what we say as hospitality. Phileo or ph- ph- is, is tied to the word kinship, uh, r- proper relationship, to give a kiss or to show love. We get the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love from this word. We also see in this um, philanthropy, and it's the, it's the showing of kindness. Xenia is the stranger, showing love to the stranger. In Middle Eastern culture, name of origin should only be, name and origin of an individual should only be asked after the meal. In other words, you treat them as they were your own family. Uh, the foreigner Another Middle Eastern, or say, Middle Eastern saying was, the foreigner is a guest of God. 
The word agape in the New Testament, the highest form of love shown in the Bible, agape, always implies hospitality. I want to talk about two women in Scripture who showed God's kindness through hospitality and how God's kingdom showed up in their lives through that. The first is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. And it's a woman called the Shunammite woman. Her name isn't given. And Elisha, who is a prophet, it says, Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunam, where there was a prominent woman. So we know this woman of Shunam, even though her name is not given, she's a prominent influence in the area. She persuaded Elisha, she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat hot dogs. Uh, to eat food. She said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is the holy man of God passing by us continually. Please, let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand and it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. One day he came there and turned in to the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, he stood, she stood before him. He said to him, to his servant, he was, this is very common within a power distance culture. So he's speaking through his servant to this woman. And he said to, to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Within a sociological, intercultural context, this is called reciprocity. You've blessed me, how do I return the favor? You've been careful with us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for by the king or the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. Now, fast forward, and there's a famine that's come upon Israel. And Elisha goes to the Shunammite woman and says, look, there's going to be a famine. It's going to last for seven years. Take your family and leave this area uh, so that you'll be able to find a place to have sustenance. And so she does. She leaves with her family. Fast forward. Seven years pass. Gehazi is talking to the king. And the servant of Elisha, talking to the king, king says, look, tell me about the miracles of Elisha. And he said, well, let me tell you about this one. This, this, this Shunammite woman, uh, she was given a, a son. And not only that, her son, when he was a, a child, had some type of headache deal that was probably an aneurysm or something. He dies. And Elisha restored him to life. He was resurrected. 
And so he's telling this story to the, to the king. And at that time, the Shunammite woman, who had gone away with her family and her son for seven years, walks up and says, we'd like our land back. Squatters have taken our land. And the king says, great, your land is given back to you. He sends an army official with her and restores her property to her. So this is the first woman and her hospitality. The second one is found in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, there's this woman named Lydia. And it's found in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul and his comrades are traveling around. And they're, they're teaching and they're, they're, they, they come to, this, to Macedonia. And this, uh, in this city... And they, they find a place of prayer by the river. Outside of the pagan city, there's, they cross the river. And at the, at, that, at the other side, there's a place that is where people are gathered to pray. And this woman there named Lydia uh, is, is at the place of prayer. Now, normally within the Roman colonies, if there was a synagogue... It required 10 males to form a synagogue. The fact that Philippi does not have one but has a place of prayer indicates that the Jewish community there was small. And so he, he's there and this woman Lydia, verse 14 of chapter 6, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, she's from Turkey and she's over in Greece, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. A worshiper of God typically was a Gentile who recognized the Jewish God, Yahweh, as God. So she's a worshiper of God. She was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when uh, she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Both of these women show extreme hospitality to itinerant pastors who are passing through. Now, here's the cool deal. Philippi, a little back story for you. Philippi was originally called um, Crenondes. And, and it was a, a city that was renamed by Philip II. Now, I know we, all of you are historians here, so you probably already know this. And this is reminding you of these, these things. But Philip II was the third son of a king. The, t the other brothers were killed. Philip is imprisoned. And when he's released from prison, he leads a military campaign. And he takes over this, this ancient city and renames it. Philippi after himself. This was in 356 BC. The same year that his son is born, a guy by the name of Alexander the Great. And this also was the year that Philip's racehorse won the Olympics. So if, if you're wondering, and, and so this, this is 356 BC. Fast forward again, and we go to 42 BC. In 42 BC, Antony and Octavian have a little conflict and, and with this guy named Brutus. You probably, again, remember from your English class or history class, excuse me, in high school, you know, et tu Brute, where Brutus and Cassius have this little... Well, they have a take, they, they do take out with little Caesar. And, and so they, they, uh, yeah, 
42 BC. And, and so, <laughs> yeah, and too, yeah. And so, so this is the city that Paul enters into several years later. And this woman of influence is, is there named Lydia. Now, seller of purple cloth. The city of Philippi had, had uh, some things that were unique about it. It was a medical city. It was a city of mines for gold and silver. And it was a military city. Because after the victory in 42 uh, BC, they established there a military retirement location. And so there were lots of military presence. There was a, lot, a large military presence there. But the fact that she was a seller of purple clothing or purple cloth, purple clothing was sold to royalty. And so Philippi had a lot of, a lot of uh, evidently was a, was a place where she did great as a businesswoman. Now, it takes 8,000 mollusks, which are like small snails, 8,000 of those to make one gram of purple dye. Uh, she's a wealthy person. And, and this, this woman who is, is, is selling, she responds to the gospel and opens her home. On your outline this morning, there are three things about these two women. The Shunammite woman and the woman who is from, um, the, the, from Phili- or in Philippi. When these two women extend hospitality, God unlocks their influence. They were already women of influence. But their influence expanded dramatically. For the Shunammite woman, her influence moved from being a regional person, I live among my own people, to influence with the king. And not only that, restoration of her property. And so as she, God unlocks her influence, he unlocks their homes, and he unlocks their blessings. For the Shunammite, that blessing is a child. And for Lydia, she becomes the first person to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ in Europe. And it opened Europe. And really, ultimately opened, the, us being here this morning was a direct downline from Lydia's response as a European. Uh, for the majority of us in this room. And so, her response was extremely significant. I was uh, in 2014, John and I were in, in Portugal for the summer. And we got to visit the, I walked in the, uh, this place near Ginchu, and there were, there were these Roman ruins. They were like Roman baths. And so I started asking about this, this area. It's just a large field of all these like brick type ovens. And they said, oh, this was a place where purple dye was made, where, where they would take the mollusk. And thought about Lydia that, uh, and, and her, her industry. And getting to see the largeness of the industry in Portugal, it, it really was amazing. It was an amazing historic site. The broader context, if you look back in Deuteronomy, chapter 10 and verse 19, there was a command given, which is the fifth book of the Bible. And in this book of Deuteronomy, Moses writes a command from God for the Jewish people. And here's the command. So show your love to the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Now, it's not referring to Area 51. Uh, the, the, that's another sermon. <clears throat> An alien was simply a stranger to a foreigner. 
And Israel was commanded to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the foreigner, and to welcome the foreigners in. I've had difficulty gathering accurate statistics, but I've read and asked many of my friends who work in international ministry. 80, well, 70 to 90 percent is the range I've heard. Somewhere from 70 to 90 percent of people who come from a foreign country to the U.S., like All Nations Cafe, J1 students, let's just land in the middle. 80% of them are never invited into an American home. Never invited into an American home. Let's change that. Um, by inviting those, inviting the foreigner into your home, showing hospitality, I believe God can do some amazing things. When, when, when Israel opened the door and invited others in, God blessed Israel. In the early church, in, in the early church in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, it talks about they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Well, the word fellowship, it's a fancy word, koinonia, but the word fellowship simply means shared life. And they shared not only their homes, they shared their food, they shared their possessions. Now I'm a small groups guy. I did a bunch of research on small groups for a lot of years. For over 32 years, John and I have had a small group in our home. What we're talking about with hospitality is moving beyond that. Something that John Wimber, the, the president, former leader of the, the vineyard movement... Uh, one of the things that he popularized was saying was everyone gets to play. Hospitality is an invitation for everyone to get to play. Open your homes to the stranger. And open your homes and see what God does. When the early church did this, and when Israel did this, God unlocked their influence, unlocked their homes, and unlocked their blessings. This is the broader context of this. Uh, Ryan and Lauren were with me recently in England. And we had the opportunity to stay in a home uh, that, that was open to us. Actually, the couple gave their bedroom up for them. And Lauren, being snoopy uh, as she is, uh, wandered around when they weren't looking. I haven't had the heart to tell her they had security cameras and saw the whole deal. But... Um, <laughs> And, and they were living basically in this closet with bunk beds so that the, the Riddies could have their own place to stay. Uh, hospitality. Sacrificial care and love. When you look at this, um, on the way back from, from Newquay to London, we stopped at this small town uh, called uh, Truant. And in this small town, we went there specifically because John Wesley, former of, founder of Methodism, who traveled over 250,000 miles on horseback. I'll quit complaining about my flights. Um, one day. <laughs> and, and so he, he um, stopped at this little town with a host home that welcomed him. And what did God do through that? Well, if you look at the early church and early Christian history, hospitality was used by God to promote 
art, science, music, education. Stop on education a moment. You realize Oxford, Cambridge, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton were all founded in homes as places for education to spread for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Education was strongly influenced. The word hospitality, we get the word hospice from hospitality. We get the word hospital from hospitality. Hotels were formed as a place for strangers to stay for hospitality. And the church embraced this in the early days. When we show hospitality, God will do the same thing in our day. In Hebrews chapter 13, there's an interesting little passage and it, it's, it's kind of a strange passage. It says this. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Uh, this was probably a reference to Abraham. And God's blessing upon his, his family. Where two guests show up. He serves them a meal and they are angelic visitors. He's totally unaware of it. And God's blessing is giving his barren wife a child as a result of that response to God and hospitality. God unlocked his influence. God unlocked his home. And God unlocked his blessings. Uh, Martin Luther, the founder of Lutheran, or the, the real leader of the Reformation, um, went into a deep depression. He had two of his, two of his children who died. Uh, one was, I think, around 11, 12, 13, died in his arms. And as a result of that, he goes into this deep, deep depression. And then the plague hits, as though it wasn't bad enough to lose his kids. And during the plague, people are, are fleeing from the area. And he and his wife made a conscientious effort and decision to open their home for the sick and to care for them. And through that... And through, obviously, his theological writings, a reformation begins that spreads around the world that influences us today. Because God unlocked his influence, unlocked his home, unlocked his blessings upon him. Hospitality. The keys to the kingdom fit your front door. Now, if there's some circumstance those you live with or other reasons or you don't have a home, you say, I can't have a place of hospitality. Share what you have and ask God to use you as you share your life with others. We had the privilege Friday night to, to go with some friends from, from here to a home and just lots of laughter, lots of fun. I really believe that for Seacoast, if you will embrace this not as a small group strategy, but as a lifestyle. And simply say, our home is open. And we're going to intentionally invite others. I believe God could really move in this church in a powerful way. Center that meeting around Jesus. Enjoy some time together and laughter and some good food. Even if it's hot dogs. And see what God does through your home. For his glory, for his kingdom. Let's pray. Well, Dad, we love you, and I thank you this morning that uh, hospitality is your idea. And you say to the lonely, you welcome them into families. And that through hospitality, you not only changed Rosario Butterfield's life 
and trajectory of her life, you've changed my life through hospitality. I thank you for, a, for parents who had an open home. And I thank you for Tim and Karen that as a teenager had a home that was open for, for me to be part of. And I ask for this congregation that you would just prick hearts today and challenge us to embrace and open our home to others. And that through that, evangelism would spread and discipleship and mentoring and coaching and more importantly, perhaps than any of those, that friendships would be strengthened and born and grow and develop. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team leads us in, in a, a final time of worship, there'll be folks at the back to pray uh, for anyone who would like prayer. I just really challenge you this week, look around and say, who can I invite home? Who can I invite over for a meal? One of the uh, statements we heard when we were in England was, well, my home is my castle. In other words, I can't let anyone beyond the moat. Uh, you know, we meet out there, but not in our home. And I just challenge you. Share your life with others and see what God does through that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.